Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. My name is Megan. This is the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. And today I'm joined by Kyle Widrick, the founder and CEO of Wid Brands Group. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Megan. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So excited to dive in to your background. It's fascinating. You worked like a million different jobs when you started out. You were super excited to to get your hands dirty and and build brands. And now, obviously, you're incredibly successful. Yeah, it's a great, great introduction. Um, So if we go all the way back, I grew up in a super small town. And so my dad was an entrepreneur. He was a builder. Um, so as you mentioned, we were chatting about, I did every job under the sun. I worked at McDonald's. I was mowing lawns over the summertime. I did construction, all the things. And so that continued through college, um, wind brands that I'm running now, this is my fifth company. And so that I started, so I would say this is, um, the most successful. My previous business was an agency focused on Shopify. So my last two have been focused on Shopify, um, and so I guess, you know, as an entrepreneur, I, I do think part of that is, is born in you. I think part of that is uh, having good experience that matches up with that. So my father, and then I worked for a pretty crazy entrepreneur for a bunch of years um, at an office called Birch Creative Capital. And so it was Chris Birch, who at the time was married to Tori Birch. And so got lucky there, you know, was able to learn a tremendous amount from him. Why would you say it was, it was crazy just because of the growth? I mean, in that, in that instance, literally every meeting that I would come out of, people would say, is every meeting like that? And I would say, yes, every meeting is like that. He is a larger than life personality, very creative, um, you know, no idea too big. And so, you know, if you look at the Tory Burch asset, um, you know, he and Tory were married. He uh, was co-founder. Um, you know, that business grew from zero to multi-billions within a 10-year span, which was a really incredible growth story. And so I was lucky to be able to watch that. But um, you know, on the spectrum of entrepreneurs, he's on the far end of a little bit out there, sheer you know, force. Very cool. D2C, we're going to dive into a lot around D2C today. Um, and you've been in the D2C space since sort of the early days of Shopify. And you actually mentioned Shopify when you're chatting about being an entrepreneur. Um, how do you think the direct-to-consumer landscape has changed um, some, from sort of the early days of Shopify all the way to where we are now? Yeah, it's changed a ton. So I was actually, I was with Harley Finkelstein last week um, interviewing him. He's the current president of Shopify. He's been there the whole time. You know, one of the questions I asked him was, could you have imagined when you teamed up with Toby that this would be, you know, today an $80 billion business. Uh, And his honest answer was no, obviously it's hard to Mm -hmm. imagine that. But, um, you know, we, my partner, Dylan and I, we had an agency called BVA Commerce and we specifically chose to partner with Shopify back in 2013, um, which was way before Shopify was uh, what it is today. It wasn't even that popular then. But what we saw them doing was really democratizing uh, access to e-commerce. And so they built a platform that allowed you to have a store. They had an app store component of that where a lot of the things that you needed to build were already built for you. 
And so it made it incredibly easy to plug in and scale a business without overcomplicating the website design and website build. And so the same is true today. Obviously, they've made tremendous advancements to the platform. I think the biggest shift, if you fast forward to today, is D2C alone used to be enough. You used to be able to build a great business, highly mm. profitable. D2C's gotten more challenging. It's gotten more expensive. And so I'm a big believer today in omni-channel. Um, and so at WinBrands, we were focused on D2C. It's still our primary channel. But we're also building big businesses on Amazon and at wholesale retail. And so we're sold at over you know, 10,000 doors, everywhere from Walmart to Nordstrom, depending on the product and the company. I'm going to come back to Shopify in a second because I've kind of like, I feel like I've, I've missed the boat on like what it is WinBrands is and, and sort of what you do. So talk to me about you know, how you've set this up, why this is a unique model. Yeah, why I guess it's, it's relevant for a lot of the direct-to-consumer brands or a lot of the sort of newer consumer brands that you work with. Sure. So sold the agency in 2018 and wanted to stay in the Shopify space, still saw a lot of opportunity to build. And so the obvious step for me was, you know, for every Kylie Cosmetics and MVMT watches that scales from zero to 100 million quickly, lots of great brands don't get quite that big that fast. And so could you build a platform and an operating system to allow brands to scale as part of a portfolio? 95% of that work is all work that all brands do, whether you're selling candles or rings or hats. And so build the platform and then go and build the portfolio. And so that's what I've done with Win Brands. The first brand that we bought was Homesick. I bought that from BuzzFeed back in 2018. We then acquired Kalo, a silicone accessory business, then Gravity, you know, leader in weighted blankets, and then Love Your Melon was our last major acquisition. Um, and so we'd like to say, we'd like to think we're building the LVMH of Shopify. It's a very ambitious statement. Okay. Um, but all brands that are category leading that customers love and then powering all of that with this shared operating system. Talk to me about the benefit for the brands. I mean, I know that there are several. When it comes to acquiring those brands, like what are the sort of unique opportunities for them based off the back of the way that um, WinBrands operates? Yeah, I think the main, the main thing is team. I mean, we've built an incredible team uh, across all areas of operations. Most typically, if I'm taking a general situation, you know, I'll meet an entrepreneur or a set of entrepreneurs that have scaled a business from, let's say, zero to 25 million of revenue. So they've done tremendously well. Most of that was D2C. And five years ago, that was much easier than it is today. And so they're trying to figure out what to do. And the obvious answer becomes, you know, really expanding omni-channel, pushing on Amazon, pushing, pushing at retail wholesale. The problem is each of those channels requires significant investment in resources. You need experts to run each of them. And so they end up at a crossroads and they either have to deep, dip into their pocket or raise that capital from outside to fund that expansion. Or they say, look, we've actually done really well. Uh, Wynn already has an incredible team. We obviously introduce new entrepreneurs to our team before any transaction takes place. But all of our components, whether it's 3PL shipping logistics, product sourcing, demand planning, all of these people have 10 plus years experience just doing what they're doing. So that level of experience applied to these businesses is an incredible growth opportunity. And so they end up with a decision, partner with us or someone like us, or try to go out and still do it on their own. 
Yeah. We talked a lot about this idea of like doing it on your own. And I, I think the last time we chatted, I was talking about how I went to, um, was it a brand week? Like it was like the year before COVID and I saw the founder of Casper do a talk and it was brilliant. It was just like several years ago now, but it was like this giant the era of the D2C brand. Like everyone being like, oh my God, how did we not see this opportunity? Why did we not sort of run with this? And then we all kind of at this point know the story of how challenging it's been for a lot of brands like Casper. And I'm assuming that when you talk about this focus on omni-channel, just being direct to consumer, sort of not, not doing it anymore. It's because we've seen a lot of what happens when you sort of put too many eggs in one basket, so to speak. So when was that transition where you realized like, okay, we have to offer this, we have to sort of operate from an omni-channel perspective? Yeah, I think it's been a an evolution in the D2C space. I did a talk recently yeah. where I talked about uh, phase one, phase two, phase three. And so phase one would be Bonobos, actually. You know, I got to know Brian and Andy way back when. Um, back when they were launching, people were looking at e-commerce as infinitely scalable. There's no cost. You're selling on the internet. This is great. Let's go. You know, tons of money poured in to accelerate that growth. Ultimately, Bonobo sold to Walmart. Walmart just resold it to WHP. But that was a time. The phase two time would be Casper, Away Luggage. You know, some of these businesses that were mm -hmm. similarly venture backed, grow, 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 get as big as you can, as fast as you can. That's actually proven not to work um, across the board. And mainly because that growth, when you're forcing that scale so quickly, um, you really don't have a focus on profitability. And at the end of the day, and especially like markets like today, you know, profitability matters a lot. And so for them to get back to that place is actually very challenging, if not impossible. Um, and so I like to think we're now in phase three, where you can have sustainable growth matched with sustainable EBITDA, with actual profitability. Um, you know, call me crazy if you're selling products over the internet. I think you should be able to make money doing that. Otherwise, you know, what's the business uh, purpose? Mm -hmm. And so we've always been focused on that. Um, and by the way, I believe in the world we're in today, it cannot be just Walmart and the dollar store with Amazon, right? You need these brands to be strong. You need them to exist and to carry on. And so a platform like ours at Win really allows these brands to be their best self. I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, we can't just be a world of Walmarts. Like we need brands naturally. I mean, I'm obsessed with brands. So when we talk about me going to Brand Week, I went to that Casper talk because I was obsessed with the Casper brand. Like I sure. wanted a Casper mattress because I was obsessed with, and I mean, I work in marketing, so take this or leave this, but I was obsessed with their typeface and, you know, the way sure. that they structure their website and all of their ad campaigns. Um, and I'm wondering with the, the portfolio of brands that you work with, I guess even when you're thinking about which brands you you would like to acquire, how important is brand or where does brand come into the conversation? Yeah, brand. And I know Phil, by the way, from Casper, and I, I appreciate their story very much. I think oh my in gosh, some I'm ways, fangirling right now. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that they were not served by the investors they took on. I'm not blaming the investors. I'm just saying from a timing perspective, yeah. they raised too much, too fast with too, too high of expectations. I do think there's a good brand that lives there. Um, and I congratulate them in any case on getting to the size and scale that they did, which was impressive. 
Um, so for us, back to your question on brand, brand's everything. And so my job across the board is making sure customers are willing to pay, let's say, 10 times what they would be able to buy a commodity product for, right? If we're looking at homesick, they're spending $38 on a homesick candle when they can walk into Target and buy an end cap candle for five bucks, right? So why are they doing that? They're doing that because the brand really speaks to them. They want to give the special gift to themselves or to someone else. And so that is worth the premium that we charge. Um, and so that's the case across all the brands. And so whether we're selling on Amazon, which we do, whether we're selling at Walmart, which we do. I love Walmart, by the way. It wasn't meant to be a derogatory yes, Walmart. Uh, love Walmart. But if you walked into Walmart and it's all private label, different than walking into Walmart and seeing brands that you know, right? That's the, that's the totally. difference. And so for us, brand is everything. When we go to acquire a brand, it's a binary outcome. We either believe that there's a real brand there or we don't. I think that's been a lot of the challenge with some of these Amazon aggregators. Frankly, they have Amazon category leaders, but there's no brand value there. If that category leader were to drop off today and another one replaces it tomorrow and you go to search for that category, you're probably not even thinking about it, right? You don't even remember who was there yesterday. With real brands, you do remember people are seeking them out actively. And so we are definitely all about that. And are there any categories where you think brand is less relevant or any categories where, um, I guess, because you think, you know, brand is everything for the portfolio of companies that you have, like you'd be less likely to invest? Well, I think when you look at things through a D2C lens, D2C is the hardest to build as a channel because mm -hmm. it only works if people are raising their hand and asking for your product specifically. It's not a category search. It's like, I want homesick.com. I'm not looking for a general candle. And so totally. if you can build D2C, which is why we look for D2C strong brands, you can then build Amazon and you could apply that to retail. Um, it's very hard, if not impossible, to go the other way. And so if you find a business that's doing well just on Amazon, try to stand up a D2C site. It's very hard to do, if not impossible. Try a brand that's just selling at Target and try to take that the other way. It only really works downstream one way, which is D2C first. Um, I'm sure others will hear this and say that I'm wrong. From my experience, you have to start with a strong D2C brand and then apply the other channels accordingly. Interesting. So if we find well, a brand that that's not strong on D2C, but only strong on Amazon, if that's a tuck-in where we can buy it as a part of an existing brand, still interesting. Mm -hmm. If it needs to be fully built out without a strong D2C, then very difficult for us to get comfortable. Interesting. I mean, that makes total sense to me. And I'm going to kind of go back to this just because I'm curious. Are there specific industries where you think D2C is particularly interesting? Like, I know, because it sounds like your portfolio of companies, it's like kind of runs the gamut. It's not just one sort of space. But if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, I wonder what Kyle's, you know, where Kyle's looking or focused on next. Like, is there anything that you can say um, in answer to that question? Yeah, we've stayed in what today's three lanes, um, which are home and gift, um, outdoor, and then wellness. And so we have brands that fit within each of those verticals. Um, in the short term, we will stay in one of those three lanes and those verticals just to stay focused. Um, generally, we look for category leading brands. 
with strong optionality to expand on a cross-channel basis. So if they are concentrated on D2C without a strong presence on Amazon wholesale, that's actually good news for us. Strong backstory, strong founders. You know, these are all requirements that we have. We have to see at least $5 million of, of revenue to understand that there's a real business there. There's some sustainability. Um, and so that's our entry point. And then we, you know, we look at where can we actually add value and expand these businesses. And so that ends up being an analysis on cross-channel, on building out each segment. Um, you know, things that just generally work online versus don't. Um, all of our categories happen to be low return categories. You know, the idea of doing fashion apparel where someone's buying six dresses to send back five. That's not great on your e-commerce P&L. Shoes, same thing. And so I have purposely stayed away from fashion, retail, trend-driven. I do have friends and peers in the space that have done more of that. And so we've tried to stay with simple products that just work, um, that have a great core messaging that we can build from. Cool. Thank you. Um, that's, That's really fascinating as someone who doesn't live in this world on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Switching gears slightly, we're talking about, you know, those three stages and thanks for laying those out. So stage one, stage two, stage three, you feel like we're in sort of stage three now, um, of, uh, in terms of timeline, what do you think the end goal is for most direct to consumer companies like right now? Um, would you say that it's, people are still looking to become the sort of the Casper Allbirds or Away? Um, are they looking for something completely different? I'd love your perspective on that. I think there's a lag time um, of folks as far as, you know, catching up to, to where things are in market. If you look at Allbirds Q4 results, um, you know, they lost $100 million in Q4. And so... That is not sustainable on any level, especially with where they're sitting today, you know, balance sheet and otherwise. And so that to me is a perfect example of that phase two just not working anymore and folks actually waking up to that. It's not to say Allbirds is not a great business. I have several pairs of their shoes. I actually love the product. To me, that's a great business at a smaller size that's profitable. There's a way to make that work that actually is sustainable. It just does not serve the investors and what they were looking to have as an outcome. And so that's where you get into that conflict. Um, you know, I think today, any brand that's unable to scale to north of $100 million in revenue profitably on their own is better served being part of a community of brands and a portfolio, whether that's Win, whether that's someone else. There's just a lot of synergy, a lot of things you can tap into where it's going to be really hard, really expensive to build that on your own. And so, you know, part of what I do when I meet with founders and entrepreneurs is just give them a little bit of my direct feedback based on my journey, right? That's all you can do. I'm, I'm trying not to give advice. I'm just giving them my perspective. And so I've also tried to change the narrative. If you scale a business from zero to 25 million, let's say in revenue, that's a tremendous feat. You don't have Mm -hmm. to sell that for billions of dollars to get a great outcome. You can have a great outcome on a reasonable basis. And most entrepreneurs that I know that we've ended up working with, they go on and they start another business, right? Because it's in their blood. Same as me. If I were to sell wind tomorrow, which I'm not expecting to, uh, I would go (laughs) and start another business, right? And so that's an exciting new chapter. 
And so I like to be a really good partner for folks that are willing to partner with us and then open up new opportunities for them on the other side, but have a significant outcome for them and their family um, in the meantime. Cool. And typically when you start working with these, uh, these brands, do you find that your expectations are sort of aligned or does it end up um, being quite a conversation in terms of figuring out like what the goal should look like? So we try to really set expectations going in. It's a great question. Um, you know, because they're struggling to decide what they want to do, or are they still focus on hyper growth? Are they trying to focus on profitability? When they partner with us, we're like, look, we do expect growth on the profit side. We do expect growth on the revenue side. We target 20% growth on revenue to allow us to grow sustainably and also keep steady cash flow. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, we set expectation up front. The partners that we bring in are well aligned with that. Uh, some founders, you know, what I like to say to them is, look, if you want to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, we can make that work. If you want to work three hours a month and sit on the beach the rest of the time, we can make that work right. too. And so we understand it's been a really difficult journey to where they are. And so we're very flexible. But to your question, when they come into our model, uh, very transparent upfront on expectations. Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I don't have too many more questions for you, and I'm aware that we're running out of time. Um, but I did want to ask, is there any... Like you talked about... You threw out so many interesting facts about some direct-to-consumer brands. Are there any like ones to watch that we should be on the lookout for? Um, other than obviously, we'll, we'll share you know the brands that you work on, but um, any other ones that are sort of up and coming that people should should check out? Yeah, it's a tough one. I can't name names uh, mainly for NDA reasons, <laughs> but I can tell you within the categories that we operate in that home and gifting, in wellness, in outdoor, we're seeing a ton. You know, we have a pipeline of north of a billion of revenue of companies, north of 200 million of EBITDA. And so it ends up being a lot of longer conversations because we're not trying to force things. Um, But I listen in my seat. I feel like I have the best job in the world. I get to meet with these amazing entrepreneurs and companies. Our portfolio, the companies that we've partnered with to date, Love Your Melon, Gravity, Kalo, Homesick, all incredible brands that are still scaling, you know, really well for us. And so this is a long-term approach. You know, if we continue to partner with great brands that we can grow and grow profitably, this will be the same story that we're telling in 10 years and 20 years, right? There's no reason this doesn't continue. And so from a D to C, you know, we talked about the phases, things have changed, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity for these founders today as long as they can execute on this omni-channel strategy. And so I've looked at literally today, I've looked at a pillow company, I've looked at a sunglass company, I looked at an umbrella company yesterday. I mean, everything that's out there. Um, we're fortunate now we do get a lot of inbound. And like I said, you know, sometimes the time is right to actually partner and get something done. And sometimes it's just building relationships with founders and giving, you know, the advice that we can. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, we'll make sure to include a link to your website so people can check you out and, um, yeah, talk to you soon. Loved it. Thank you so much, Megan. Bye. 
Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights, and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.